Amen. You may be seated. Good morning to you. Good morning. Nice to hear everyone singing. Glad to be here together to worship the Lord. And I certainly want to commend each person for successfully turning their clocks back. Although this group, coming at 11 when you've had an extra hour of sleep, this makes me think you really value your sleep. That's okay. I, uh, I was thinking about this a little while back of sort of the, the life stages and the journey you go through when you turn the clock back in the fall. And I remember when I was a student or even newly married, it'd be awesome because you could stay up late, stay up an extra hour and still get the same amount of sleep. But now that Rachel and I have kids and, and little kids, um, we've noticed that the kids' biological clocks, they don't really pay attention to the numbers on the wall. So when they wake up, they're still coming into our into our room, bounding in with just as much energy and enthusiasm, so we shouldn't try to stay up later. But tip my hat, too, to those of you who maybe you don't really pay attention to it. You just get up when you get up, and, and you made it here, and it's glad, I'm glad that we're here together. Now, this past week at our church has certainly been an interesting one. I can certainly say that. Um, but I really do want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, um, thank you for praying for us, uh, for praying for uh, our pastors, and uh, for our church staff, for our board, um, have certainly felt that this week. I honestly mean that, and that has meant the world to us uh, to have your prayers and, and want to encourage you. Uh, just We are certainly praying for you and praying for us as a church family in this time, so continue to be praying for our church. Continue to be praying. And I, I've really appreciated just in many conversations the comments from different people uh, about just the, the resolve, the need to trust God in this, to walk through this season that we now find ourselves in, confident that God will walk us through it. So I've appreciated you have ministered to me in in those conversations, and I thank you for that. Let's keep praying together. I want to thank those who were involved with the the Remembrance Day uh, ceremony earlier, Uh, certainly something that that we should value and and pay attention to and and take time to to commemorate. Remembrance Day should hold significance uh, among us here at Stone Ridge. Um, There are many among us who are serving and have served our country, and so it's, it's part of who we are. And so because we are reflecting on, on Remembrance Day, those who have made sacrifices for, for the freedoms that we enjoy, uh, because we have the opportunity to come together to the Lord's table and celebrate communion uh, later on here this morning, I felt led to, to spend some time, uh, some extra time this morning, looking at God's Word and, and looking at what it truly means to remember. As followers of Christ, as as the church today, I believe that there's something placed inherently within each one of us, something that, that has us wired to look back and to reflect, to remember what God has done. So, so that's where we're going to be going this morning. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles or look on your devices to Titus chapter 3. Book of Titus chapter 3. I realize it might not be much help to say Titus comes right before Philemon because that's a pretty hard one to find as it is. Titus right after First and Second Timothy, before Philemon and Hebrews. This is Paul's letter to Titus. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll look to the Lord together in prayer. Titus chapter 3. This is the word of God. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, 
led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, in these moments, we come together to again declare that, that you rule, that you reign, that you are the name above all names. You are the only one worthy of our praise. Father, as we have opportunity now to look into your word, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to remember how great you are, how glorious you are. Father, that we would be encouraged this morning. We'd be reminded this morning. That we'd also be challenged and convicted and inspired this morning. Lord, you know, you know my heart. You know I feel inadequate to, to bring this message today. And yet at the same time, I know it's not even about me. It's about your word going forth. And so I pray that it would accomplish the purposes that you've set out for it. So we invite you to speak now. May we hear from you now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the nicest spots in downtown Halifax, in my opinion anyway, is Grand Parade. Grand Parade, the, the city square, which in the original design of the settlement of Halifax back in 1749 was to be the focal point, the, the main square of the city. And so if you go down to Grand Parade today, you will see at the one end, the, the north end of the square, the City Hall building, which has been there since I think the 1890s or so. Goes back quite a ways. Prior to that, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Prior to that, uh, that was the main site of Dalhousie University. Their main building was on that site where City Hall is today. So that's at the north end. And then at the other end, the south end, uh, there's a path area, but there's also a cenotaph. The cenotaph is set up there. Uh, it was dedicated in 1929. And it serves as a, as a physical, uh, visual, permanent remembrance point. A spot where, where all those who are walking by in the hustle and bustle of the city, surrounded by tall buildings, enjoying the ambience and the peace, will see. And as their eyes are set on that, they will know that a price was paid for that peace. See, we only wear the red poppies for a couple of weeks before Remembrance Day. But the cenotaph is there all year round, and it helps remember it's placed there for the specific purpose of helping people remember lest we forget and I want to remind us this morning that, that just as we've spent some time today celebrating and, and commemorating those who have sacrificed for us we'll be thinking about this over the next number of days leading up to Remembrance Day itself it's important to pause and to reflect rightfully de deservedly so I want to remind us that as followers of Jesus Christ that there's a remembrance that we are called to that, that should resonate within the depth of our being, that there's something placed within us, that there's something written into our spiritual DNA, a built-in need to look back and to reflect 
and what God has done in our lives. So as recent events within our church family have maybe, for some of us, brought to mind questions, questions about the future, the future of our collective body as a family. Where are we going to go from here? I believe we can look to God's word this morning and be strengthened and encouraged, helped as we pause to look back the things that he's done on our behalf so that we would have a greater view of his love, greater view of his glory, his beauty, his might, his majesty, his grace. And so in this passage that we read moments ago, the Apostle Paul is, is reminding this particular audience of where God has brought them from. Paul likely wrote this letter uh, near the end of his life to Titus. Titus was a fellow servant in the Lord, ministering on the island of Crete, just off the coast of Greece. He's mentioned in a few other books of the Bible. He shows up in 2 Corinthians, serving alongside Paul. He's mentioned in Galatians as well. And we don't necessarily have a, a documented record of Paul's ministry, specifically in Crete, the way we do other, other examples. The book of Acts chronicles when Paul is in Corinth, and then we see a letter to the Corinthian church, or, or Thessalonica, or Ephesus, some of these places. We don't have that record. But most biblical scholars would suggest that Paul made, made a missionary journey somewhere between uh, somewhere towards the end of his life, and he wrote this letter to Titus around the same window of time when he wrote his letters to Timothy. Somewhere between uh, the first imprisonment that's recorded right near the, book, the end of the book of Acts uh, to a later imprisonment and his subsequent death. So chapter 1 suggests that Titus had been someone who'd been left behind by Paul after the church was initially established to give oversight, to help give direction to the young believers there. And if we were to spend some time in chapter 2, we would see that Paul is instructing Titus the importance of holding on to sound doctrine, to know the truth, to know just the, the core of the gospel, and to know how those truths should affect these young believers as they live out their faith in the day-to-day. -day. And then he continues on here in chapter 3. He spends the first part of this chapter giving some reminders. The first word in the text is remind. They're practical reminders here. Verses 1 and 2, to be submissive submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And these are instructions for, for how these believers in Crete should conduct themselves, conduct themselves towards others. And so I encourage you to look over some of these instructions on your own, maybe sometime this week, to look at each one and to ask God to search your heart and, and, and see if there is an area where you might, you might have some room to grow. And then after verses 1 and 2, Verses 3 through 7, this is where we're really going to hone in this morning. After these practical reminders, Paul gives a bigger picture. Sort of an all-encompassing theological reminder. And this is the foundation of the gospel message, the truth of the gospel, the means by which the believers in the Cretan church nearly 2,000 years ago and believers here gathered at Stone Ridge Fellowship this morning, how we can live out those practical instructions. I want to read verse 3 again. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is who you were. That doesn't really paint a pretty picture for us this morning to, to think about these, these characteristics, but, but this was our condition, each of us, because of the reality of the infection of sin, the brokenness of our world. We were considered to be separated from a holy and righteous God. I wonder if for a moment you might be willing to think about your life before you came to know Christ, before that, that moment of your salvation. And for some of you, if, if we were honest, you had a pretty rough go of it. You had some, 
some things in life, some, some pretty bad decisions you may have made, some experiences along the way. Maybe you got caught up in the wrong crowd, had to go through some pretty difficult, harrowing things, painful moments, and maybe you still bear some of the scars from that today. And I'm not really suggesting here for a moment that, that we live out our past, relive our past scene by scene and bring up all those things, because for some of you, there's pain that you've experienced that you would never want to wish upon another person. Brokenness like we wouldn't believe. Foolish. Foolishness. Disobedience. Being led astray. In bondage to our passions and pleasures and pursuits. Fleeting things. Malice and envy and hatred. Some of it might have been self-inflicted. Some of it might have come at the hands of other people. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, whatever the life choices were, you were at that time cut off from God. And maybe some of you didn't have such a, a rough go of it before you knew Christ. Maybe you had a, a relatively stable life. Maybe in the eyes of the world, you were a pretty, pretty good person. You lived a clean life. Maybe you came to Christ at a pretty young age uh, before the opportunities to get caught up in, in some of these things presented themselves. But whatever your life experience was, there was a time you were at one point ignorant of your sin unaware that there was a chasm between your unrighteous life and the peaceful presence of a perfect God. And this is who we were. And so some of you need to look back this morning. We all need to look back this morning to be reminded of, of, of where we once were, to reflect on what God has delivered us from. Remember who you were before Christ rescued you. Now, your past, your past certainly doesn't define you. You're not defined by your past. But you do have a spiritual past. There was a time before Christ. There was a life that was lived before the moment of salvation. And in the broad sense, in terms of eternal standing before God, verse 3 describes us all. Remember who you were. Why should we remember that? Quite honestly, I think because sometimes we lose the joy of the rescue of our soul. We lose sight of that. We don't remember that. I know I certainly do sometimes. And I'm so thankful that, that God didn't just leave us alone to ourselves. He didn't leave us in the mire trying to figure it out on our own, trying to flounder our way, earning our way into the good books. But God made a way for us. Let's read verses 4 through 7 again. This is the hinge right here. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Talk about a game changer here. Remember who you were before Christ, and then remember that God saved you. God saved you. Against all odds, against all hopes, dreams, possible ways to, to earn our way into the kingdom, he reached out for us. He reached down to us. He stooped to our level and pulled us up. He raised us up in Christ. Made that way possible for us to receive that forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness we just so desperately needed to be placed in right standing before him, to know him, to experience him in our lives today and all the days to come until this life ends and we slip into eternity to therefore be then in his presence unhindered by sin or pain or death. The gospel is an epic plot twist of eternal proportion. 
God is our hero and the sun is the star. You have lost and hopeless humanity floundering on its own in verse 3, trying to figure it out. Then you have goodness, total goodness and loving kindness in verse 4. The love of God. The goodness and kindness appeared in the Son, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, bringing into full view the same way the old Polaroid cameras. Does anyone still have a Polaroid camera? They're kind of fun things to have now, right? But, but the Polaroid camera, you would snap it and then it kind of slowly comes into view. Jesus brought into, into full view the totality of the kindness and goodness of God. Christ lived the sinless life that we couldn't died the death that we deserve, took the punishment for us and rose again in victory that our souls might be saved. And because of Christ, we can experience full transformation, a complete transformation. We can forgive those who have wronged us because we have been forgiven in Christ. Man, I can't believe those words, they sting. I can't believe that person said that about me. Well, in Christ, we can forgive the speaker of those words. We can show mercy. We can show compassion to other people because Christ had compassion on the crowds. He saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So we can, our, our prayer can resonate with his prayer. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We can have compassion on people. We can see people as having value and having worth, being created in the image of God. Having value and worth because Christ counted it as worth it to redeem us. It is worth it to give of your time. It is worth it, to give your energy, your talent. It is worth it to give of your treasure to causes that, that the world has simply written off, saying that that's hopeless, that's pointless. Just shake our head and walk away. No one's ever gone too far that they don't deserve to hear of God's love for them. And we can overcome sin, we can overcome temptation in moments of weakness because Christ defeated sin. Though he was tempted, he never gave in. The battle it's being waged every day in each of, our, each of our hearts, each of our minds. Moments of temptation come. And they can go, come and go, and, and we have a choice. And it can go either way. But victory is always possible in Christ. He makes that possible because he defeated sin and death. And obviously on our own, trying to operate in our own strength, we can't do these things. But thankfully, God's given us his spirit. The one who resides in us as a permanent presence. The one who washes us, gives us a spiritual cleansing, a complete cleansing, the washing of regeneration and renewal. Verse 5 says, the Spirit is the one who, who gently whispers to our hearts that he is there, he lives within us, and he wants to fill us, he wants to empower us, he wants to enable us to experience all that God has for us. For some of you, you know, you know the exact moment of your salvation. You can, you can pinpoint it to a moment. Uh, maybe it was uh, when you were in sort of a rock-bottom situation and you had nowhere else to turn to, and, and you cried out in desperation, and the Lord heard your call. He heard your cry for help, and you were saved. Maybe it, it was when you were young. You were in Sunday school class, and the Bible lesson was presented, and, and maybe there was an opportunity to, to pray in response, and, and you did. Maybe for some of you, it was a moment where you were You'd been wrestling with God for so long and you just had to pull your car over on the side of the road and say, okay, Lord, I'm sick of running from you. I'm going to give you my life. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm yours. For others of you, though, it was maybe a process. It, it was a journey. There were, there were different steps along the way. Maybe you don't know. You can't pinpoint down the exact date and time 
of the moment of your salvation when you called upon the name of the Lord and you were saved. But you do know that God has revealed himself to you in such a way that over time you came to a knowledge of your need for a savior. You knew you had to be saved. And so whatever your journey, I want you to think back to that process. Think back to those moments. Think back to the time when you experienced the power of the gospel for the first time in such a fresh way, such an exciting new way. And the power of the gospel should never really grow old on us, but there was that, that initial moment of your salvation. Think about that time. Think about that. Smile. It's okay to smile as you think about that time that you were saved. God saved you. He held nothing back for you. He gave his very best. He gave his son. He sent the son that you might be redeemed to the praise of his glory. Remember that God has saved you. Remember what he has done for you. And this is a theme that is embedded within Scripture. Across the entirety of Scripture, we see that theme. We see it in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, the people of Israel are, re are receiving the commands uh, of the Lord. They're told to remember so that when a day comes, when future generations are to ask the question, why do we observe this law? Why do we uphold these statutes, these commands? The answer given be that the Lord has rescued us. The Lord is the one who brought us up out of Egypt. The Lord delivered us. Remember the Lord your God. Joshua chapter 4, the people placed the memorial stones by the Jordan River. And it serves as a type of cenotaph for that point in time so that it would be a visual reminder of the Lord's mighty hand of deliverance. All who would see those stones in, in generations to come would walk by and, and reflect on what God had done. First Ch Samuel chapter 7, Ebenezer Samuel sets up an Ebenezer stone, a stone of help to commemorate what God had done up until that point. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And the people would see that Ebenezer stone and remember that God had been their help. And of course in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and the wine, not to steal your lines, Pastor Terry, who's doing communion for us later on here, he took the bread and the wine and he gave specific instructions to his disciples to commemorate the sacrifice that was coming, the imminent sacrifice, to do this in remembrance of him. And we'll have that privilege later on to take communion together. We're called to remember. It is something that, that God has commanded for us to look back, to reflect, and to celebrate what he has done. God saved you. There are different iterations of this particular war story, but uh, the first first version that I heard of it actually came uh, when I was in high school. I remember reading through a, a devotional book by Josh McDowell, and, and the story tells of, of two brothers who were fighting side by side in France. And in the particular battle that they were in, they, were, uh, they ended up being separated from their unit. They were cut off. And so only one of the brothers, his name was Tom, uh, made it back successfully to rejoin the unit. And Tom realized his brother hadn't made it back, and so he began to plead with the commanding officer, asking for permission to go back, to somehow retrace his steps back to where he had been to try to find his brother. The officer heard these requests and was certainly compassionate. He was moved by Tom's desire to find his brother, but he emphasized the danger, saying it was too dangerous to go back. It was going to be a pointless quest. There's no use in risking your life just to find him dead, he said. And Tom persisted. And so finally, after much begging and pleading, the officer allowed him to go. And so some time passed, and later on, Tom returned with his brother's limp body draped over his shoulders back to the unit. The wounded brother had breathed his last and died. And the commanding officer 
came by. He was certainly saddened to, to see what had happened. But he shook his head and said, you see, I sent you out there. I let you risk your life for nothing. And with tears in his eyes, Tom answered, oh no, sir, with all due respect, sir, no, not at all. You see, when I crawled up beside him, where he lay, where he was hurt and dying, and I took him in my arms, he said, I knew you'd come, Tom. I knew you'd come. And Tom's faithfulness was rewarded in those moments by his brother's dying words. And clearly, his brother had a sense of confidence that somehow Tom was going to return. Somehow Tom was going to show up in the bleakest of moments to take care of him. Remember what God has done on your behalf. Remember who you were before Christ. Remember that he has saved you. And remember his track record, his faithful track record of what he has done on your behalf throughout your life. If we were to take some time this morning and I were to ask a couple of the members of our wonderful production team to, to come out into the audience, a couple of roaming microphones, and, and to instruct us to say, let's keep it brief, but let's just have a time of, of sharing testimonies of, of God's faithfulness in our lives. Even if I were to emphasize and reemphasize, let's keep it brief, I think we would be here until the end of the day. And as you look around this room, you are surrounded by different testimonies of the faithfulness of God, the working of God in all these lives. I'm looking out at a sea of testimonies. And just as much as some of you may have experienced some hard things before you knew Christ, some of you have gone through some pretty incredibly challenging situations, some tough circumstances since that time. See, walking with God is not always puppies and sunshine and, and rainbows. It's, it's not always a yellow brick road of, of laughter and, and fun. Some of you are walking through some situations even right now where if you're honest, you're questioning things. You have doubts. You have fears. You have concerns. You're not sure if you can handle what's coming up next around the corner. There's pain and heartbreak tragedy, sickness, death of a loved one, sudden job loss, news coming from a family member of something that, that you never thought you'd have to deal with. And yet in the midst of all that, in the midst of all these circumstances, God is certainly there and God invites us to participate in this mysterious living out of the gospel for us to cling with all we have to the hope that we have in Christ, to devote ourselves to good works. It says towards the end of this, this passage that being justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, to hope in Christ. Insist on these things so that those who believed in God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. It doesn't mean that there aren't challenges in those works. It doesn't mean that we're somehow immune to setback and to disappointment. But in the end, God walks us through the struggles. God walks us through the heartaches so that we can just look back Later on, once we're through it, look back and testify to his goodness. We might question it in the moment. Certainly question things. But with the hindsight that comes, the spirit-given hindsight, we can look back and say, that's what God was doing. That's why that happened. That's what he was doing. Even in this season that we now perhaps suddenly find ourselves in as a church family, we need to resolve all the more to come together, to pray, to be seeking the Lord, to be supporting one another, encouraging one another, trusting that somehow down the road we'll look back on this time and we'll see what God was doing. We'll see why we walk through what we're walking through. 
And again, this is something, again, you can see through the entire timeline of Scripture of examples of, of God working through the tough situations of people and then presenting them with hindsight to look back and glorify him. Uh, Sarah was old, past the point of having a child, and she initially laughed with skepticism at God's promise to have a son. And yet in the end, she laughed with joy. She laughed with joy at giving birth to Isaac. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. Certainly a plot twist for him. He'd had these visions and dreams and figured God had all kinds of great things lined up for him. The plan was a little bit different probably than what he imagined, but he got to a point to play a role in, in helping save a number of people from the famine so that in the end, talking to his brothers, he would say, you meant evil against me, but God used it and meant it for good. Moses had killed an Egyptian. He ran away. He was lacking confidence, protesting against God in his encounter with God because of a speech impediment, wondering who he would be to speak to the people, to lead to the people, to go to Pharaoh. And yet God worked through that. And in the end, he was revered as, as a great prophet, one who knew the Lord face to face, who did all kinds of signs and wonders that God used for mighty things. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a, a traitor in the eyes of his people. I'm sure he didn't have too many friends, too many followers, too many likes for his profile picture. And yet, somewhere along the line, he met the living Christ. He followed him, did ministry with him, had a complete transformation so that in the end, God used him to give an account, a gospel account, which has blessed the church for 2,000 years. Peter betrayed Jesus after, not long after saying, Lord, I'm with you to the end. I will fight to the death for you. Then the rooster crowed after his third denial. Yet Jesus reinstated him, brought him back, filled him with his spirit. So in the end, Peter was an incredible voice for the early church. On the day of Pentecost, he preached a gospel message and many came to Christ. Paul was an enemy of the gospel. He was an enemy of the church. He was bent on destroying the followers of Jesus. He then encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and experienced a complete transformation. He endured all kinds of hardships for the sake of the gospel. And yet in the end, he's seen as an incredible missionary for the church, the early church, the hardship that he endured, the, the questions he must have asked at some point in time. Why is all this happening? In the end, God used that to grow the church. And so there are, there are many accounts of those who, who questioned, those who stumbled, who fell down, experienced hardship and sat back, messed up. But in the end, God used it. God worked in their lives in such a way that they could look back and bring honor and bring glory to his name. So look back right now. Look back on what God has done in your life. Remember how he has worked how he's carried you through those tough times, how he's provided for you, how he's fought for you, how he's delivered you. When the odds were stacked against you, he somehow came through. The opportunities that he's given you along the way to be a minister of the gospel to other people. And maybe, maybe you are currently in one of those valley type of experiences. I want to encourage you this morning to believe that God can use it as he has used other circumstances. He is using it even now to make you more like Christ. He is refining you in that process. Maybe you're here today and, and as you're reflecting on what God has done, looking back right now, 
you might feel a little bit sad as you're remembering. You might be sad because it's almost with a sense of nostalgia. It's from a lot further back that you're thinking of, of moments. Maybe it's the good old days, the, the prime years of your walk with Christ, if you were to call it that. And God doesn't want you to be looking back on the good old days because he wants days to, to continue forward. He has more for you now. The, the mission trip that you did back when you were younger, that was never intended to just be a, a mountaintop experience, but God was intending to use that as a stepping stone to more and greater for him, that that experience would prepare you for what comes next. That time of evangelistic zeal and fervor, those, those seasons of passionate prayer, those moments of, of meaningful time immersed in God's word, those were never designed to just be kind of these one-offs, this single episode. They're meant to be, if anything, they're meant to be cenotaphs, stones of help, turning points that you can look back on and say, God used that to get me to here. Triggering memories that, that God is still for you. God has good works for you to devote yourselves to. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So look back. Look back with a sense of awe and wonder. Reflect on just how far God has brought you over time. And as you remember, don't just be stuck remembering, but look ahead with a sense of excitement and a sense of expectancy that, that more things are lined up, more things lie ahead, individually for you, but even collectively for us. I honestly believe that the best days are still before us at Stone Ridge Fellowship. I honestly do. I'm not sure the path that's going to be taken for us to, to get there, certainly with my limited, finite human mind, but, but I believe that. Because when I look back at what God has already done for us, I can't help but be optimistic. I can't help but be excited for the future. So may our hearts, may our, hearts, may our lives be similar to that wounded soldier in the war who had just such an unwavering confidence in his brother that even in the darkest of moments, he, he somehow knew his brother would come back. Might we be similar in our confidence in God? Whatever the situation we have to walk through might be, we know that there's a proven track record. For each one of us, for all of us collectively, God will come through. Not always in the ways we expect, obviously, but in such a way that we would be refined and brought more closely to him. So why do we remember? Why are we taking time today to remember? Quite simply because we so often forget. I know I certainly do. I forget. I lose sight of what God has done. So we need those little reminders every now and then. Remember who you were before Christ Remember that God saved you. He saved you. You are his. And remember all the things that he has done for you since that time. And I would encourage you, as, as we are afforded the opportunity in our calendar, as, as this week leads towards Remembrance Day, spend some time, as you spend time with the Lord, reflecting all the more on what God has done for you. Do that this week. And so we have a very real, uh, tangible opportunity to do that now as we come together to the Lord's table. And Pastor Terry is going to lead our time in communion. Just before we, we share in remembrance together, um, we're going to be taking up our benevolent offering as we do each time we have a communion Sunday. Uh, we'll sing a song in response. So I'll invite the ushers to come forward here. We'll take up our benevolent offering to, to go towards those within our community who are in need. We remember today. We remember today. We move forward looking back. Excited for what God has done and what God will continue to do. We remember. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I pray that, that even now our hearts might be soaring. 
singing your praise. As just for a few moments here, we've looked back, reminded of who we once were, cut off, separated, apart from you. But because of your great love for us, you sent your son. You didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up, knowing we couldn't make it on our own. You stooped to our level. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in that moment, we called on your name and you saved us. Thank you. Father, since that, that, our lives have not been perfect, our lives have not been easy. And there have been moments of challenge, there have been moments of hardship. But through it all, you've been there, you've been constant with us. So Lord, we, we praise you. We look back on the things you've done. And so because of that, we look forward with excitement and expectancy for what lies ahead for us. Help us to remember well, not just today, but, but as we continue to move forward with you, every so often look back just be reminded of your goodness and grace. Now, Father, as we have the opportunity to, to give to you, to give to those uh, among our community who are in need, Father, I pray that we would respond generously. Father, take these, these gifts and use them for your glory, that more people would, would know just how great you are. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.